Samuel chapter 7. The whole of chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head 
and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Amen. The second half of the book of Daniel is very different from the first half. You know, the first six chapters, some of the most famous stories in the Bible. You know, you have uh, Daniel and his friends refusing the food of the king. Um, You have the the dream of the the statue that was crushed by the stone. You have Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego surviving the fiery furnace. Uh, King Belshazzar's party and the writing on the wall. Daniel in the lion's den, you know, famous stories, really well known. And then in the second half, of the second six chapters of Daniel, second half of the book, um, we enter a completely different world. Now we have weird visions, horrific monsters and beasts, uh, great destruction. What, what, what are we to make of, I mean, the first half of the book seems relatively easy to understand. The second half of the book seems full of mystery and, and shockingly hard to understand. I think what we're supposed to see here is uh, the first half of the book contains the way in which uh, the conflict between God's kingdom and human kingdoms unfolds on the earth. And in, in each of those stories... The point is, nothing can stand up against God's kingdom. God's kingdom will be victorious over all other human kingdoms. Then in the second set of six chapters, we are, we are sort of kind of taken behind the scenes to see what is behind all those human conflicts. You know, it's as if the curtains of heaven are parted a little bit and we catch a glimpse and we glimpse something of the conflict between Christ and the powers of evil and and, and that is the conflict that stands behind 
what we see on the earth. So then chapter 7 begins this second half of the book and we're back in Belshazzar's rule. You know Belshazzar, the, the king who saw the writing on the wall? Well, in the first year of Belshazzar, Daniel has this dream. And he's, in his dream, Daniel is being shown two things. First of all, he is shown a panorama of world history. Well, he's given a glimpse into the future. So a panorama of history to come. And then the second thing he is shown is a picture of the person who controls world history, a person who is in charge of the future. So first of all then, pictures of the future, and second, the person in charge of the future. Well, in these pictures of the future, I think it's important to realise that um, Daniel's dream in chapter 7 is really about the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 was about. You know, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this statue, uh, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, uh, belly of bronze, legs of uh, iron and clay, legs and feet of iron and clay. And, and they represent four kingdoms. Uh, and then Nebuchadnezzar sees a rock that's, that's cut out of the hillside. The rock rolls down and crushes the statue, turns it into dust which is blown away. And the rock becomes, uh, the rock fills the earth. It becomes a kingdom that fills the earth. And Daniel gives the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, these are the four great superpowers of the ancient world Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And he sees the kingdom of God crush those superpowers. Now, Daniel dreams, it's a very different dream, but it's about the same thing. Um, now, now the superpowers are not represented by a statue with different layers. Now the superpowers are represented by four beasts. Um, now, countries still do that, don't they? You know, the American eagle, the Russian bear, the British lion, Australia, uh, kangaroo and emu, New Zealand, kiwi. Mm. Sort of doesn't seem to quite match, but but still, we, we represent countries by these animals. The first beast, the first beast was like a lion with the wings of an eagle and represents Babylon, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Uh, Daniel, in the dream, he's given the heart of a man. Now, I don't really know what that means exactly, but maybe it means that after Nebuchadnezzar had gone insane and then his mind was restored to him, then uh, he acknowledged God. Uh, Babylon is not entirely bestial. It has something of the face of a man to it. Not so for the kingdoms that follow. The second beast, it's a bear. Its mouth is full of bones and dripping blood. It represents Persia, the kingdom of Cyrus and Darius, the kingdom that put Daniel in the lion's den. The third beast looked like a leopard. Now, I looked up my encyclopedia and found that the leopard is actually more dangerous to human beings than lions and tigers. Leopards are more likely to attack human beings. The fastest cat, the most aggressive cat. 
And, uh, and so imagine a leopard with wings. What a destruction machine that would be. Um, well, the, the leopard with wings represents Greece, which rose and fell with incredible rapidity. Uh, it is said, I don't know if it's true, but it is said that when Alexander the Great, who was the emperor of Greece, was 33 years old, he was found weeping because there were no more kingdoms to conquer. It may be an apocryphal story, but that's the story I've heard. Uh, uh, he, he sorry, he died at the age of 33. And yet, so a powerful kingdom that rose rapidly. And yet Daniel says, even this empire was given authority to rule. Alexander did not rule on his own account. God gave him the authority. The fourth beast is most terrible of all. Daniel can't even compare it to another animal. He doesn't know what to compare it with. It, it chomps its enemies with iron teeth, tramples and crushes everything that gets in its way. The fourth beast is the Roman Empire. Then this, this, this fourth beast grows ten horns and the, and, and the interpreter of the dream, you know how the dream is interpreted in the second half of the chapter, the interpreter of the dream tells Daniel that these ten horns represent ten more kingdoms. Now, I don't, think, I don't think we can ever really know the details exactly, but they probably represent human rule since the Roman Empire. We are now in the time of the ten horns. What Daniel sees is a panoramic picture book of human history. We might want to say it's like a, an animated DVD of history uh, with cartoon pictures of beasts and, and destruction. And all these, all these, all these kingdoms, uh, what do they have in common? Well, they're all human kingdoms. They arise from the great sea, says verse 3. They represent humanity. These kingdoms rise from the sea of humanity. And, and they're all destructive and horrific, one monster after another. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander, Nero, Hitler, Stalin, Idi Amin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, Saddam Hussein. Human history just goes on throwing up these monsters. Where do they come from? They come from the sea of humanity. They come from the same stock as you and me. They represent the human heart opposed to God. Leaders who shake their fist at God, who want to try and break off the shackles of what they see as the shackles of God. And what stirs them up? What stirs up these leaders? Verse 2 implies that it's the action of, of heaven that stirs them up. These kingdoms arise in opposition to heaven. The nearer God comes to us, the more stirred up, the more churned up we become in our sinful human nature. When Jesus Christ came to the earth, there was never, a, 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 there was never such an eruption of demonic activity, of human opposition to God, Jesus brought out the very worst in human nature. He was God himself coming in the flesh and 
He, he, he stirred up hatred and envy and jealousy and pride so much so that we crucified him. You know, um, people like the spirit of Christmas. They like the baby in the crib with all the emotion, all the gush. But it's unrealistic. It's, there's nothing sentimental about Jesus coming into the world. He comes to establish his kingdom. And the natural human heart, the human heart that is separated from God, is opposed. It hates him. It kills him. So these nations, these kingdoms, these beasts of prey are expressions of the, of the human heart. It's, it's your heart. It's my heart when, uh, when we are separate from God. Unless God changes us, that's what we're like. The kingdoms become more and more destructive. Each successive picture is worse than the one before. This is not, uh, you know, this is not the evolutionary development of the human race from... Uh, from savage to noble. This is the descent of the human race to bestiality, to the level of the beasts. And then finally, in this picture book of human history, there is this little horn. And the little horn is worst of all. Uh, He has eyes like the eyes of a man. He has a mouth that speaks boastfully. He, He wages war against God's people. He defeats them for a time. Verse 25, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. Who is this little horn that seems to be so strong and powerful? Who oppresses the saints, even seems to defeat the saints for a while. In the New Testament, He is called the Antichrist. He is called the man of lawlessness. From Daniel, from the teachings in the New Testament, uh, it seems that there is a a time is coming at the end of this present age when it will seem that the people of God will not be able to stand up against the Antichrist and that for a little while he will become stronger and stronger. Jesus says that God cuts these days short for the sake of the elect. Otherwise, they also might perish. There are dark days ahead. Paul talks about his little horn and calls him the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul says that he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Paul says that this figure is being held back for a little while now, but at the end of time he will be released and he will wage war against God's people. He says that the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the power of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. 2 Thessalonians 2. Is this Antichrist a person? Is it a world government? We, we don't know. But it will dominate the world and it will get its power from Satan. It's a pretty frightening picture, isn't it? You know, if that's all we had, 
If, that, if I said, Amen, now, we could all go home really depressed, couldn't we? But that's not all there is. There's, it's not only a picture of the future. Daniel also sees a, the person who is in charge of the future. Verses 9 and 10. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Daniel sees the beast destroyed. He sees its body thrown into the blazing fire. And then Daniel sees something else. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every nation worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Just imagine how encouraging this is to Daniel. You know, he's, he's, in, he's, in, he, he's in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. Nebuchadnezzar is yesterday's man. Belshazzar is on the throne. But, but Kevin Rudd is yesterday's man. And uh, I mean, Tony Windsor and Rob Oakeshott and Bob Catter seem like kingmakers, but pretty soon they'll be yesterday's men as well. And so will Julia Gillard and Tony Abbott. And, but the Ancient of Days will rule forever. He is on the throne. Nothing can conquer him. He's always there and he's always in charge. I, I think that Daniel must have just loved this vision. You know, we, we have this song... Um, Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. Um, but Daniel is not alone. Think of the vision. He, he sees thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000 attending the Most High God. Daniel is not alone. Who is on the Lord's side? Daniel is on the Lord's side. He knows that he is not alone. He knows that all glory and power belong to his side. The Ancient of Days, the Lord God Almighty is on his throne. His court is in session. The books are opened. God's enemies are judged. The beast which represents human kingdoms rebelling against God is defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. And then Daniel sees what I guess is probably the centre of the vision. Verse 13 there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. You know, another kingdom is coming. Another king is coming. This time it's not a beast. This time it's not another monster. It's not a kingdom that rails against God. This time it is God's kingdom coming. And it has, God's kingdom has a human face. It is represented by one who is like a son of man. But this is not mankind now descended to the level of the beasts. 
No, this is now the true man, the perfect man. In the, in the Gospels, the name Son of Man is used 84 times and it identifies Jesus. And nearly every time it is used in the Gospels, it is on the lips of Jesus himself. It was Jesus' favourite way of talking about himself. He identifies himself as Daniel's son of man. Even at his trial, before the Sanhedrin, he identifies himself in this way. Caiaphas, the high priest, he, he, you know, he, he's been mocking him and he says, come on Jesus, tell us who you are. Jesus replies, I say to you all, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest certainly didn't misunderstand what Jesus was saying. The high priest tore his robes and said, Blasphemy, do we need any more proof? Jesus is the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, coming on the clouds of heaven. What is Daniel seeing when, when he? What is Daniel seeing when he sees this one, like the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven, approaching the Ancient of Days, being given all authority and power and and glory? What is Daniel seeing? Well, I believe that what he is seeing is the ascension of Jesus Christ. Um. The disciples saw him taken up out of their sight and being hidden by a cloud. Now Daniel sees through the cloud and sees Jesus taking up the place of, uh, of all authority. He takes up his reign as the victorious, ascended Lord of the universe. He has established the kingdom of God through his death and resurrection now he rules with perfect authority. Oh, the little horn is still to come. There are still to come black times for God's people. The final Antichrist will come. He'll rule the world. He'll oppress God's people as never before. But Jesus Christ has already won the victory. He is at the right hand of God and and. Even the little horn, even the little horn with all its power can't prevail against the church. Listen to what's going to happen to the little horn, even here in Daniel. Daniel, uh, verse, verse 25. He, the little horn, will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. These are amazing words. Does it, does it say, does it say, then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms will be handed over to God. Does it say that? Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. It says, Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. 
Jesus Christ will be the great ruler in his kingdom and we will rule with him. One day it'll happen like this. Daniel gives us a bit of a glimpse of the future. You know, there's, there's, there's truth here that you can't see with normal eyes. But with eyes that have been informed by the Spirit, we're given a glimpse of the future. Just as the Antichrist seems to be winning and taking charge of everything, Jesus Christ will return on the clouds of heaven. Paul says that when he comes, he will overthrow the lawless one with the breath of his mouth. The Antichrist will just be blown away by the power of Christ. Like the great statue in chapter 2, it's crushed into dust and blows away. And all who belong to Jesus will be with him and will rule with him forever. So I think the question that faces us is, where do you stand in this picture of history? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will. You will. You will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How will you do that? Will you do it willingly or unwillingly? Will you confess Christ as Lord with a heart that's bursting with joy? Or will you confess him as Lord through gritted teeth with hearts filled with hopeless regret, with only eternal torment ahead? Are you ready for that day? Are you on the Lord's side? Let's come to God in prayer. Our glorious Lord, God, there, there are times when we are glad to be alive, when the world is a beautiful place, when our human relationships fulfill us and please us. There are other times when chaos seems to reign, when earthquakes and floods and tsunamis dominate the lives of millions and we can't see the way ahead. Father, we thank you that in all these circumstances we can be sure that Jesus Christ is on the throne, that history has a glorious end, that your Holy Spirit is at work in this world establishing and strengthening and expanding the kingdom of God. There is a spiritual reality which is often hidden from us, but you show some of, some of that to us in Scripture and one day, all that spiritual reality will be plain for all to see. And so we long for that day. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray this for the sake of your glory and your honour. Amen.